0: Today's passage is from Revelation 19, 11 to 21. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come! Gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves under flesh. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Lord's Love Church this morning. It is great to be with you guys uh, this morning and able to worship uh, God together. And um, yeah, hope that you guys had a good, good long weekend so far, just one more day tomorrow, uh, especially for those of you who are going back to school. Sorry to remind you this, but you are going back to school. But I do hope that you will finish off uh, this summer break on a strong note, um, and that you will yeah, have a great time today and tomorrow. Um, so yeah, uh, for those of you who are new with us today, I just want to say welcome. I'm uh, glad that you are uh, joining our community here today to worship God together. And uh, my name is Howard, and I'm a youth pastor here at this church. And today it is my joy and honor to be able to share God's word uh, with you. And so we began this, news, this uh, study series called Revelation, Future in Focus uh, since the beginning of this year, and we're almost to the end of it. Just a couple more weeks left. Uh, I think the last time I preached on this was February, and we're still on it. Um, but yeah, this book is written by John the Apostle. Uh, it's a combination of letter, apocalyptic, um, which means vision and seeing, and prophetic, which means uh, speaking forth. And this book is about seeing the present in light of the future. And last week's uh, message, uh, the first part of chapter 19, Reverend Doug pretty much uh, was preaching about giving praise to God and worshiping Him in, through the way that we live our lives. And today's passage is more focused on why we should keep worshiping God and praising Him through the way that we live our lives. Uh, but before I start, um, I just want to pray. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, thank you for this morning that we get to gather together, Lord, and just to be able to worship you freely, God, and just thank you for your word that is still alive and active today, that it still has power to transform us. So we pray, God, that this morning as we read your word that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. May your Holy Spirit be at work in us, Lord, to transform us, to change the way that we live, and for us to receive you, God. And so we pray that, um, that, yeah, your spirit uh, would just... Help us to understand you more through this passage, Lord. So thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And most of all, thank you for being a faithful God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm not sure if many of you guys know this, uh, but did you know that if you got a violation ticket, motor vehicle related, like speeding ticket, from a police, you can actually dispute it in court. And if the police officer didn't show, uh, doesn't show up to court, you can you don't actually have to pay the fine. You're pretty much free uh, to go. And I learned this through my experience at court. So one time, I got uh, pulled over by RCMP officer for not having my license plate mounted on the front bumper of my car. Um, but he was really nice. He gave me grace, and he let me off the hook, uh, gave me a warning only. But I took that grace for granted, and I didn't bother mounting the plate, right? As if, like, I've never see a cop ever in my life again, right? So... Then later on, uh, I did get pulled over again by another RCMP officer, uh, and this time I did get ticketed, but the police told me that I can dispute the ticket in court if I mounted my license plate and I show him a picture in court, then he'll let it go. So I did and went to court, but the police never did show up, uh, so I didn't have to pay the fine. But before this, I still had to go through the whole trial system, right? While I was waiting for the judge to deal with my case, uh, the woman ahead of me, before me, was very nervous and didn't know what to say in court. Um, And she had multiple violations, like traffic violations. Uh, But the police officer didn't show up. So technically speaking, she is off the hook. She didn't need to pay the fine. But the judge went through the whole process. So in the final question, the judge asked something along the lines like this. Here are your violations, X, Y, and Z. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? And she nervously said, not guilty? So the judge asked her not once, but three times in total. All right, um, uh, Asked her three times in total if she was guilty or not, because the officer must prove his case beyond a reasonable doubt, but he wasn't there. So the police had to be there in order for her to f- be guilty, but he wasn't there, so she was off the hook, but she didn't know again. Like, um, so the third time, all right, so this judge is being already really nice, really gracious. So the third time, the judge asked her and made it clear this one last time. He's like, okay, let's try this again. Officer so-and-so is not here. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? And so she thought for a second, as she was thinking, the people behind her in the court was yelling to tell her what to say. Say not guilty! <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she said, oh, not guilty. And the judge pretty much dismissed her. So the point is this, the judge makes the final call. So even if you feel like you've been wronged by the police officer, if you f- felt like the ticket that you got Uh, was unfair, you don't have to pay the fine right away. You can dispute it or plead your case in court, right? The police officer's job is only to issue you the ticket or the fine, right? But he doesn't have the final authority or the final call to determine whether you are guilty or not. So that's why you can go to court and let the judge decide. So likewise, God is our final judge who has the final authority and the final words, So even in the midst of the chaotic world with sin and evilness, with uh, pain and suffering, many bad things happening, there will be this one day where there's no more pain and suffering, and we will be with God in eternity because Jesus makes the final call, and he has the final authority, and that is the beauty of the good news. So in the midst of the spiritual darkness and battle that we face, Jesus stands forever forever. So the big idea for today is this. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is the wrong slide. Um, uh, yeah, just is the wrong slide. So the big idea for today is that Christ alone has the final authority of life and death. Uh, Christ alone stands forever means that us as believers also stand with him in eternity. Jesus makes the final call. And so the first point that I want to make is this that through the darkness that we face in our lives and the evilness and all the chaos that we see right here, that the first thing that we need to remember is uh, need to do is to remember who God is. That's the first point. Remember who God is. Who we believe in and choose to follow determines the outcome of our lives. Here, John is given a vision of the writer Jesus and describes his characteristics. And so let's read if you have your Bibles with you. Verses 11 to 13. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in white robe. In blood and his name is the Word of God. So the first thing that John saw was heaven opening up and the white horse entering in. And there is actually significance of both heaven opens up and the white horse. So heaven opened up means that God is about to act on earth in a decisive way. And if you think about it, heaven is all about a person with a capital P, which is um, which we're looking at Jesus, which is why the last book of the Bible is about a person. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, the revelation by Jesus, and it's about Jesus. And the white horse actually symbolizes war, right? In the first century, when a king rode a horse, he was riding to war. Uh, This time, he appears as a uh, warrior. But if a king rides in a donkey, then he's riding to peace. So what this means here is this, that Jesus came in peace He came in peace before when he entered the city of Jerusalem, but now he's riding in war. And uh, there is actually um, uh, two different type of final battle um, that uh, that Daryl Johnson, his book, has kind of helped define. So the final battle, which is the small cap final battle to which Jesus rides is never fought, which is this passage today. The final battle in this passage need not to be fought because... The final battle in capital ladder has already been fought and won through the cross. So simply in this passage here, Jesus rises simply to finally implement the victory of the cross, and he rises to lock up the real enemies of God. And so after this part, uh, John talks about the characteristics of Jesus. And uh, so first of all, that Jesus is called faithful and true. Jesus is faithful from before the beginning to after the end. He is committed to his Father's will. He is faithful in all the way to the cross, and he is true. And with justice, Jesus is the ultimate judge who can judge all humanity, for he alone has what it takes to judge righteously. So if you, think of, if you remember, even at his trial, Pilate, in, in the trial before Pilate, people tried to discredit him or find fault, but they couldn't even do it. And Jesus has these eyes that is described as as flame of fire, which means that His eyes not only look at us, but it also looks through us. So nothing is hidden from Him. And He and and His head has many crowns, and crowns is a symbol of victory. And this other part that I would like to spend some time to explain he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself so there are two things about this okay the, with the phrase no one knows but he himself in the first century if you if you um it was thought that if you knew someone's name and especially if you knew knew a god's name then you could exercise a certain level of control over him and her in some degree right so if you see a friend walking down the street ahead of you and you yell hey bob like he'll stop and he'll turn around and to see who it is, right? And even for you parents, if you call your kid's name, they will stop and turn around. Or even in the Chinese culture, if you know, that if your parents called you by the Chinese name, you know you are in big trouble. So names ha- hold meaning, and it's and is powerful. And, so, and, and that's the first part. And so Daryl Johnson kind of summarizes this. He, he says this, a name written on, um, well, he, he says this, it is a way of saying that Jesus Christ, as available as he, made him, uh, he has made himself to us, as compassionate as he is toward us, as passionate as he is for our weakness, is under no one's control. So Jesus is under no one's control. So the second part about this is this. In the ancient times, names reveal something about the person's nature and character. So if you, knew a person's, uh, if you knew a person's name, you had a mini personality profile of him or, or her. So for example, Jesus sees the fishermen and says, you are Simon, a name related to shifting sand. You shall be called Cyphus, the rock. So the point of the phrase, no one knows his name except himself, means that Jesus has revealed himself to us and done so under many, many names. Lord, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, Bread of Life, Light of the World, Faithful and True, on it goes. But even as full as that full revelation is, there is still more to be revealed. There is still more to discover about Him. And I think that's the beauty about our relationship with with Jesus, that there is so much about Him that we still don't know. And it will take time to be on this journey to keep knowing Him more and more. And this final part that John writes, he says he is dressed in white and robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The robe that is dipped in blood is Jesus' own blood before he comes into this final battle. And the Word of God, in other words, logos of God, which is also written in the Gospel of John, means that Jesus is God's speech. He speaks for God, and his message is from God. Essentially, Jesus is God's final speech. And so the living God, invisible, transcendent, all-powerful beyond description has spoken for himself. And so in verses 11 to 13, again, John describes who this writer is, Jesus, and now he begins to explain what he will do next along with his armies and angels. And because Jesus is the Word of God and there is weight and power to his words, the next point is this. When God speaks when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. So Jesus has power and authority, and this is why Jesus can do the impossible simply by speaking, simply by speaking. So now the vision here is Jesus coming in to wage war against evil. So let's read verses 14 to 16. The armies of heaven were following him, and on a white horse, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a white sword with, uh, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule with them with an iron s- scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this rit- name written, King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the first part right here in 14, John is saying that the armies of heaven following follows jesus riding on a white horse dressed in fine linen and they're ready to fight with jesus and 15 to 16 as jesus speaks coming out of his mouth is his sharp sword and he strikes down the nation again all he had to do was just speak such a nice and easy job just speak and things happen so he will rule with them with an iron scepter he trusts the wine press of the fury of the wrath of god almighty so essentially god's word leads to action that is powerful enough that he strikes down the nations. And the word rule right here is translated as shepherd. This means that he will shepherd the nations with an iron scepter. And in verse 15, I'm going to be honest, I had trouble understanding this NIV version of it when it says he treads the winepress of the fury of the uh, wrath of God Almighty. So in a different translation for me, um, I need to dump it down. New Living Translation says, he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then going on, John now sees, this is the, now the second vision. Now, John now sees an angel standing in the sun who shouted out loud to invite the birds to come together for a supper of God And so here, the Supper of God is kind of like, it's pretty much a gory scene. John is telling us that everyone's destiny is a supper. Both of these suppers are prepared by God. One is a wedding feast for his sons. the other is a gory feast for the birds who eat up the carcasses of God's enemies. And uh, another commentator wrote this: "The believers will partake of the great banquet, and the sinners will be the great banquet." And the last part right here about God speaking is this in verses 19 to 21. Then I saw the beast. Now, this is like the final round. This is, then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his enemy. But the beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the very lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves in their flesh. So the outcome of the beast's war against Jesus is predictable. And Jesus, who created all things captures the antichrist and satan's other henchman, the false prophet and here's the thing the antichrist and the false prophet do not die physically instead they are thrown into uh, the lake of fire that burns the sulfur and so the bible does not give an exact location of the lake of fire uh, it may uh, lie outside of our universe but it is a real place and this is the ultimate eternal destination for all who reject god and i think this is all the more for us as Christians, when we hear stuff like that, to, uh, to continue to, to pray for our family members or friends and, or those that don't know Christ yet. Because at the end of the day, there is a final destination, one where we are, we are having a feast with God, or another one where peop- people who do not believe in God are being gorged out by birds. And so, the third point that I want to make is this. How God fights ought to show us how we should fight. How God fights ought to show us how we should fight. This connects to the second point. When God speaks, things happen. So, how God fights was by using His words. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. Jesus simply wins by speaking. And I think that we can do the same as well today in Jesus' name, right? To use God's word, to pray in Jesus' name, to pray for others, that things can still change because Jesus is still alive. And if you think about it, words have weight and power. James chapter 3, I'm just going to paraphrase this, pretty much says that our tongues... Though our tongues are small, it has power to destroy someone, just like how ships are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Right? So even things that are small can do powerful things. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Why does Paul say this? Because he knows that words in themselves have power and hold so much weight that it can either build or destroy someone's life. And that's why he's encouraging the people in Ephesus, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but start talking about positive things that will build other people up. So if words have power and the things that we say could either build or destroy someone else, how much more power and authority do you think Jesus has when he speaks? There's so much power and so much authority. So I'm just going to go through quickly some of the passages in the Bible. Throughout Scripture, whenever God speaks, things happen, miracles happen. For example, Genesis 1, God's creation. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? Daryl Johnson um, summarizes, Jesus simply spoke into the nothingness, and something came into being. Mark chapter 1 in, in the New Testament now, in the Gospels, Jesus drives out an impure spirit. Jesus says sternly to the impure spirit, be quiet, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Mark chapter four, Jesus calms a storm. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I'm just using different scenarios now. Like John chapter 11, now it gets into the heavier stuff. Jesus raises Nazareth from the dead. Jesus called into the tomb with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then, as you know, the dead man comes out. Matthew 19, Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic man. And all he had to say was this, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man gets up and went home. So there are so many examples in Scripture where Jesus speaks and things happen, right? Right? There's so many more that I can go through. But this one final part that I, I want to highlight is this is in chapter, Matthew chapter 4. Before Jesus entered to ministry, he was tempted in the desert. And how did Jesus fight against the devil? He used scripture. He quotes scripture. And he never gave in. And so there is power. So even verse 14, come, 15, coming out of the mouth is a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And in verse 21 right here, Jesus speaks. They were captured. And so God's Word is still powerful for us today, that we can still use it, that we can still use God's Word and things will happen. Uh, Jesus has given us that authority, and and this Bible right here is available for us. And even better yet, now we have phone apps or Bibles, so like literally it's with you if you download it, it's with you everywhere you go. So God's Word is with us, it's available anytime and anywhere. So Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. So God has given us Scripture, which has power to transform us, not only to grow spiritually and maturely in our relationship with Him, but also to use it to fight the battles that we encounter in our lives. So a few questions that I want to ask you guys this morning afternoon is this. What battle or many battles are you currently wrestling with? And does it feel impossible to defeat? I definitely have. There are even some things in my life right now that sometimes I feel like, hey, it feels like impossible to defeat, right? Like how long have you been facing this? How long have you been facing this? And more importantly, with the battles that you are currently facing in your life, How are you fighting your battles? Are you letting Christ fight for you by turning to him or by taking control of your own life and fighting for yourself? We all need to dwell in the word of God so that we can be transformed and fight with the word of God. If we're not leaning into Jesus, the word of God, we begin to lean into the world and its worldview. If you think about it, the world and our culture teaches us to take control of our lives and fight for ourselves, when in contrast, Christ teaches us to let go of control and let him fight for us. The world teaches us self-help, find your own strength, take control of your own life, create your own destiny, which is all not biblical or what God has designed for us to do. So Jesus right here in this good news that he loves us so much that he sacrificed himself for us so that we can have new life. And in this new life, we can experience his love and grace daily. But not only that, this new life gives us hope. So why fight for yourself, fight with your own strength when God already offers his help for you? So our current battles may seem impossible to defeat, And it may be painful, and we don't know how long it will be. But one thing I do know, that the battles that we face here are temporary. They're temporary. They're not going to last. These are, you know, when we think about our battles, right, these challenging moments and painful moments is where we must continue to lean into Jesus. These are the moments we cannot give up in our faith. These are the moments where we need to tell Jesus of our weakness and our need for him. These are the moments we need to keep pressing forward with perseverance to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And these are the moments, as quoting Gordon T. Smith, let God do God's word, work in God's time. Let God do God's work in God's time. So my encouragement for you guys this morning is this, to keep leaning onto Jesus, to keep growing, to keep being filled by God's word. In our battles as well, I want to be clear with this as well, that we don't need to do it alone. Because not only is Christ with us, He has provided community of believers as well. And at LOC, we do have community here as well. And I just want to personally share that ever since I joined the three two one group, it has been actually one of the most life-giving things for me as well. Especially with the stress that comes in life, and, and sometimes with ministry, that 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 was a, that my three two one group right now is a safe place for me to be myself, to be able to freely express, um, you know, my concerns, my failures, or even things that are hurting me. And and, and just being able to talk with people who also challenge me in my life, in my faith that it's not just going to let me hear what I want to hear, but to also ask me the right questions to challenge my thinking and my perspective as well. But not only that, but to actually spend time in prayer as well. And so you guys get this as well here. In this church, in this, we have community and we have people who do care. And so I want to highly encourage you guys to prayerfully consider if you're not in any of the groups. Um, But if you don't feel comfortable then perhaps you can start something small. Like maybe ask someone how you can pray for them. Or better yet, if you can start, you know, try being vulnerable one small step at a time and ask other people for prayer. But what I'm trying to say is this, it's so important for us, you know, to, to use this environment, to use the community that God has given. To, to, to Journey on with people together, and to carry each other's burden, right? To celebrate the victory, but yet, you know, to um, uh, 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 but to share the moments of pain. But overall, despite the stuff that we fight are fighting in our own in our, in our own spiritual battles, I want to remind us this again that God has already won the battle through the cross. Jesus already claimed victory, and He has the final authority of life and death. And one day we will experience this full victory with Jesus in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness, God. And thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, Lord. And I just pray that this passage will encourage us all the more to keep fixing our eyes on you, to know that, yeah, like, there's so many evilness and brokenness in this world, but at the end of the day, these things are temporary because you, Jesus, have the final authority and final words. And so may we continue to hold on to the faith, to continue to press on in our faith with perseverance, God. And thank you that you continue to guide us and lead us through the work of your Holy Spirit. And so may your Holy Spirit continue to be with us.